Now remain standing for our epistle lesson, also our sermon text. And I'm going to read a little bit more than what is printed in the liturgy. I'm going to back up to 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 17 and start there. Again, this is God's holy word. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face And perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. Thus far, the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand your word and to put it into action, to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As most of you may remember from last week, we're in a sermon series on prayer, specifically Paul's prayers, Paul's priorities in prayer. We're learning from Paul how to pray, what to pray for, how to use scripture as the basis of our prayers. And today we're going to learn how to love as Paul loved. All of Paul's prayers serve as models for us. But the one here at the end of 1 Thessalonians 3 
specifically verses 9 to 13, is especially revealing in its portrayal of Paul's genuine concern and deep love for the brethren. We get this strong impression as we read this, as you heard what I just read, that Paul really loves God's people. He's speaking from the heart. He loves his brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul's passion for God's people shows up not only in the the content of the, the prayer itself, there toward the end of the chapter, verses 9 to 13, but also in the surrounding verses. And that's why I backed up to 1 Thessalonians 2 and read those verses so we could see the content. We're going to see that love is Paul's driving force behind his prayers for the Thessalonians in particular. It is love, not worldly love or purely sentimental love, but Christian love, selfless love, sacrificial love, spirit-filled, spirit-driven love. A love that aches, as we saw here in this passage, a love that hopes A love whose well runs deep. In fact, it's a love whose, it's a well that never runs dry. John, Jesus says in John chapter 7, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water were constantly flowing out of Paul's heart and onto the people of God, the people he loved, the people he ministered to, the people that he evangelized and brought into the faith. He loved the people of God. He loved the Thessalonian Christians. He loved them in tangible, concrete ways. And Paul's prayers spring from this intense love for the Thessalonians. That's the big idea of this sermon. It's what Paul himself communicates in this passage. I think it's the big idea of the passage. Paul's prayers spring from his intense love for the Thessalonians. Paul has a bottomless well of love for God's people. And it's bottomless because its ultimate source is Jesus and his spirit. It's not a selfish love. So that when his own resources Or depleted, he's out of love. No, it's rooted in Jesus. And out of this well of intense Christian love spring forth Paul's prayers for the Thessalonians. So this morning we're going to look at three different angles, three different maybe manifestations of Paul's love for the Thessalonians. Three different aspects of this intense love that fuels his prayers. The first thing we see is that Paul's prayers spring from an intense desire to be with the Thessalonians. Did you, did you catch how many times he said that he desired to be with them? We learned from Pastor Nixon a couple weeks ago that Paul didn't get to spend very much time with these believers in Thessalonica. Not nearly as much time as he would have liked. Acts 17 records Paul's planting of the Thessalonian church. And we read in Acts that just before a Paul, that 
Paul arrived in Thessalonica, Paul and Silas had been badly beaten in Philippi. They were imprisoned and ultimately they were forced to leave. From Philippi, they went to Thessalonica, where Paul began to tell people about Jesus in spite of the danger. And he planted a church there. But once again, the opposition rose up against Paul's ministry. And it became so heated that he had to leave after only a few weeks, three Sabbaths. He was torn away from the Thessalonians. And then from Thessalonica, he went to Berea, and then to Athens, and then to Corinth. And while at Corinth, a few cities later, while at Corinth, Paul began to look back on the churches that he had recently planted. And and it pains him greatly that he's not able to spend time with them, discipling them and training them in their new faith. It grieves him that he has to leave these baby Christians so soon after they've come to the Lord. Paul loves nothing more than nurturing believers in the faith. He feels like a nursing mother who has been ripped away from her baby. His desire is to be with them in body as well as spirit even though he can only be with them in spirit or in heart. And so he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 8, back before I even started reading, that he is affectionately longing for them, the way a nursing mother cherishes and longs to be with her nursing baby. And then he writes in 1 Thessalonians two seventeen, but we have been taken away from you a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavoring more eagerly to see your face with Great desire. Great desire. Then he says the same kind of thing again. The beginning of chapter 3. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it. We thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy. Our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. He can hardly take it being away from him. Verse 5. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it. I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. You see how committed Paul is to these people, to their spiritual well-being, especially these new believers. He's burning up. He's burning inside to be with these people that he just met. These aren't long, you know, lifelong friends or family members. He just spent a few weeks with them. But he can't think about anything except helping them, nurturing them, feeding them God's word, building them up in their faith, laying for them a solid foundation in the gospel. And so what does Paul do when he finds that he cannot visit them personally? A couple of things. First, he sends Timothy. But most important. For us today, he devotes himself to praying for them. This is typical of Paul. He's he's a passionate man. He doesn't know how to relate to other people except by becoming deeply enmeshed in their lives. Paul is personal. He's a relational man. 
He's not into superficial relationships. He wants to go deep. This, of course, makes him quite vulnerable. People of God often hurt Paul because Paul allows himself to get very close to them. His heart is wrapped up with them. But this does not ever stop Paul from continuing to develop close, intimate friendships with those in the household of God. I know pastors who have decided that they cannot become friends, close friends, with the people in their congregation. Maybe because they've been hurt or they're worried that they might become hurt by the people that they love. So they think they have to create a distance. But this is not the model that Jesus gave us. And it's not the model that Paul gave us either. Fellow elders, we are called to love God's sheep, whether our love is reciprocated or not. We must desire to be with God's people the way Paul did. Our love for the saints must be personal. It must be relational, as Paul's was. It must be from the heart and to the hearts. Men, your love for your families must be the same way. It must look similar. You, Your most basic duty is to die, if you have a family, is to die for your wife and children. Every day, that's what it means to be the head of your home. First, it means a lot of things, but that's first on the list. Dying for those in your care is the opposite of making sure you are protected, your heart is protected, your needs are met, your feelings are intact. And your ego, making sure your rules are followed. Loving your wife and your children as Christ loves his church and as Paul loved Christ's church, at the very least means desiring to be with them and letting them know that you desire to be with them. Your love for your children must be personal, relational, from the heart. To the hearts. When God blesses a people, He turns the hearts of fathers to the children and the hearts of children to the fathers. That's what the very last verse in the Old Testament, Malachi, says. Paul says up in 1 Thessalonians 2.11 that he loved all the Thessalonians the way a father loves his own children. So in this In this section of Scripture, he compares himself both to a father and to a mother. As a loving father, Paul longed to be with his children so that he could know them and comfort them and build them up in their faith. Fathers, do you long to be with your children? Paul develops deep relationships with God's people. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 28 and 29. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. Deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. Paul is not a man who prizes ideas 
theories and theological systems above people. Paul is not a Christian who loves people at a distance. Paul's top priority, his top desire is to love and serve the people of God. He desires to be with the Thessalonians because he loves them deeply. And this intense, this deep love, this passion for people shapes his prayers for them. In fact, it drives him to prayer for them in the first place. So Paul's prayers spring from an intense desire to be with the brethren. The second thing we see is that Paul's prayers spring from an intense desire to seek the good of others, to seek the good of other people. You never see Paul seeking praise or you know, acceptance or appreciation from those he serves because he thinks that he needs it and deserves it. He never needs them to say thank you. That's not what's on his mind very much. Paul does not serve to feel good about himself or to gain some sort of what we might call professional self-fulfillment. Paul is not about how those in his care should be meeting his needs. He knows he has needs. He knows he needs the people of God. But he serves people principally because he is seeking their good. Personal fulfillment must never become the controlling factor in your life. God does not guarantee you a life or a vocation or a calling that gives you personal satisfaction and fulfillment all the time. He doesn't even guarantee you a marriage or a family or a church body that will meet all your desires, your life, and what God is calling you to do with your life is not about you. It's not about you. It's about God, and it's about God's people. It's not about you. It's about service, not just the idea of service, thinking about service, planning to do service, but the service of real people. So the question is not, how can I feel most useful? The question is, how can I be most useful? The goal, the goal is not feeling comfortable and appreciated. Or maybe even finding your niche in your service. The goal is glorifying God by serving his people. The goal is not to be seen by others. The goal is to be seen by God who rewards those who do good in secret. So the question is not, how can I serve in a way that fits with my life? The question is, how can I lose my life and die to myself so that I can serve more faithfully? The right question is, what does it look like for me to take up my cross and die today, this morning? This afternoon, this evening. This is how Paul thought. We see an example of this before us today. 
Now, I should be clear, I don't want anyone here to hear what I'm not saying. There's nothing wrong with deriving joy from the work that God has given you to do. I certainly do. It's a beautiful thing to find happiness in the life that God has given you and contentment. The problem comes, though, when you make happiness the goal of your life, something that must be there. The problem is when you make personal comfort and fulfillment, the things that determine how you run your life, what you do with your life. At that point, your personal happiness has become an idol. We don't see Paul going after personal fulfillment and happiness. Listen again to Paul in the first part of chapter 3. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. And so we sent Timothy to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Verse 3, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Appointed to what? To happiness, personal fulfillment. No, appointed to suffer, he says. Verse 4, for in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know, verse 5, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faithless. By some means, the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. See, the Apostle Paul is not about the Apostle Paul. He's about people. His deep affection for these Thessalonians ensures that he will not use them to feed his ego. And in large part because he understands that he's been called to suffer, not to avoid suffering. And so he has positioned himself with this kind of faith, not to look to them to give him a sense of importance and vocational satisfaction and to teach them not to do that either. With others. He is in agony out of concern for their good. He's suffering too. He wants assurance that they are standing firm under persecution and not being tempted by the tempter to forsake the faith. Paul wants to be with them and he wants to be with them for their good. Paul is demonstrating here basic Christianity. Christ Jesus came to us. He left heaven to be with us. He desired to be with us. And not because it was going to be all fun. It was for our good. Jesus chose the path of self-denial for your good, for my good. He endured rejection and excruciating pain And died a horrible death so that you could have eternal life. And he calls you to serve in the same way. Not by lording it over others. But by serving others in love. Paul's prayers are an extension of his love. He did not lord it over others, but he died to his self-interest for the good of others. He thought about them. He prayed for them. He understood this point and he lived it out. Paul was a Christ-like missionary, a Christ-like pastor, a Christ-like spiritual father, and in some sense a mother. It was an extension of his 
passion, his love, his deep desire for people, and specifically his intense desire to seek their good over his own. The third, the third thing that we see is that Paul's prayers spring from an intense delight in hearing about their love and their steadfast faith. We saw a little bit of this last week. Look at chapter 3, verses 6 to 8. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, so Timothy's come back, and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we always to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. What comforts Paul here in his affliction? Their faith. What gives him life? How does he, when's he living? When they're standing fast in the faith. We all know people who are only interested in hearing bad news. Maybe scandalous news is, is better. They love to hear about moral failures and scandals. They hear about a, Christians who are stumbling or in trouble or about a pastor who's fallen into sin or someone else's child has rebelled. They're full of concern and maybe even righteous indignation. But is there... But, but, but if there is really good news, they hear Christians are filled with the joy of the Lord and are growing in holiness and effectiveness in their witness. We're about ministers who are fruitful, preaching the gospel faithfully. Then their interests wane. There's nothing to denounce. There's no foil for their righteous anger. That's not Paul. He is the opposite of that. For Paul, every report of growth in faith and love becomes an occasion for great rejoicing even when he is suffering. The thing that really gets Paul going is hearing about believers who are growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the end of verse 8 I just read. Paul says in essence, now, now we're really living over here. Now life is really good. For us. Why? Because the afflictions stopped? Because there's peace around him everywhere he goes? No, because you are standing firm in the Lord. Is that how you respond to reports of steadfast faith and love in other believers? Does it really get you going when people you love are standing firm? In the Lord, in the faces of trial. Can that pull you out of sadness that is due to your circumstances? The way it pulled Paul out of his sadness, his afflictions. How many things bring you more delight than hearing about this? What makes you really feel alive? Like how Paul says, now I'm living, now we live. What makes you feel alive? For Paul, it was hearing that fellow believers were growing in faith and love and standing fast in the Lord. That brought him joy. The Apostle John says the same kind of thing in 2nd and 3rd John. 
Second John 4 says, I rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. And in 3 John 3 and 4, For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. No greater joy. That's a strong statement. Can we make that statement? No greater joy than to hear that his children, his spiritual children, are walking in the truth. Has has hearing that someone is walking in the truth ever been your greatest joy? This is what got Paul and John going. Parents, is this what brings you the greatest joy for your children? To know that they are walking in the truth. Do you give thanks for that? You tell God thank you when you see it. Do you pray for it? Brothers and sisters in Christ, is your greatest joy to see fellow believers walking in the truth, to hear about fellow believers walking in the truth? Well, if you want to know the answers to these questions, just consider how often you pray about these things. That your children and your fellow believers might walk in truth and righteousness. How often do you give thanks for those things? When you see a brother turn from sin or make strides in his or her faith and their relationship with God. Paul's prayers spring from an intense love for the people of God. The Thessalonians in particular from an intense delight to hear about their faith and their love and their standing fast in Jesus. This means if you want to grow in your prayers, if you want to grow in prayer and pray more like the Apostle Paul, you must strengthen your love for the brethren. You must cultivate in your heart a deeper love for the brethren. You must become passionate and compassionate about people. You must cultivate this love for the saints that Paul had, that Jesus has. You must learn how to love people more deeply and more sacrificially so that it actually does hurt. You must develop a stronger desire to be with people and to be with people for their good. To serve them. You might need to stop looking at life as something that is about you instead of others. You must develop a deeper desire to seek the good of others over your own good. To consider them more important. Their desires. You must make it your greatest joy in life to hear that others are growing in love and faith and steadfastness. And so when this becomes your greatest joy. When this begins to dominate your heart the way it dominated Paul's heart, the way it still dominates Jesus' heart who is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, praying for us because He loves us so much. 
When you do that, it will begin to shape your prayers the way it shaped Paul's. When you get this stuff in your heart and mind, then biblical and God-honoring prayers will begin to flow out of you, out of your heart, like rivers of living water for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let's go into prayer and ask God to help us to cultivate this kind of love and prayer. Father, we know what you have called us to do. We know how you've called us to love the brethren and how to pray for the brethren. But we need your help in doing it. We need your spirit to work in us, to transform us, to conform us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus, so that we love like him and pray like him and pray like Paul. Please hear this prayer, answer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.